Freedom doesn't need more cheerleaders shouting partisan slogans. It needs thoughtful, principled disciples of liberty. Deep down, we all know that freedom and liberty matter. This is where we discuss why they matter. It's time to elevate the discussion. Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. So glad you could join me today. And welcome back from the uh, Independence Day holiday. Man, oh man, it was a great time. And I hope you had, uh, I hope you had plenty of uh, opportunity to celebrate in a way that was, uh, you know, uh, meaningful and, uh, and fun. Sometimes those are mutually exclusive terms, but I think we, uh, I think we actually had a, a better than average July 4th. I spent a little bit of time at uh, Liberty Hall, and I'm very grateful for having had that time and uh, had the opportunity to to get out and meet some folks that I hadn't met before, but also to to hear some just truly inspiring messages of of liberty and uh, the kids from uh, let me think about Radiant Productions. Holy cow! What a job they did in uh, in putting together this amazing program of patriotic music and spoken word anyway they they have done a lot of work they've done a lot to prepare for it and and it showed it was it was truly magnificent um would it surprise you to know that uh, i really don't do the fireworks thing i and and it's in, in part you're going to think i'm terribly lazy for saying this but um my neighbors all of my neighbors or at least it seemed that way probably 90 plus percent of my neighborhood apparently takes the fireworks part of the 4th of July so seriously that uh, there is no way I could have missed out on, uh, you know, a 4th of July celebration. It was it was just that amazing. And so uh, away we went and it was it was good. My dog didn't appreciate it, but uh, had an opportunity to take a couple of days off, which which was good. You heard some best of programs um, as we went on into the weekend, you know, through uh, Thursday and Friday. But oh my word, what uh, what a great opportunity to just kind of decompress, catch up, see what's happening, you know, and just basically pay close attention to to what is going on in the world that that I wanted to pay attention to. And yet here we are staring Monday right in the face. And you know what? This is this is the craziest part to me. Um, some pretty big stuff has apparently uh, hit over the weekend. I'm going to share a little bit about that with you. It was, uh, I think it was about early last week, I noticed that a friend had posted uh, uh, an article about 2,000 sealed court documents pertaining to a guy by the name of Jeffrey Epstein. If you don't know the name already, trust me, you'll know it soon enough. Um, Jeffrey Epstein apparently had uh, been convicted of um, some kind of child sexual abuse uh, roughly 10 years ago. But interestingly enough, the documents were sealed, and uh, he he received a fairly light uh, sentence. I don't remember what it was. It was it wasn't major. It wasn't like well they put him in prison for life. But Jeffrey Epstein is a businessman from New York City, very very well connected. I believe he's a billionaire. If he's not a billionaire, he's missing a great opportunity. Extremely well connected with with many of the uh, high and mighty. And here's where it gets a little bit dark. Um, there are allegations, and there have been allegations for some time, that this guy has had uh, very serious ties with um, 
okay, I'm just going to come out and say with with basically setting setting uh, clients up, friends up with uh, underage girls for sexual liaisons. In fact, he has his own little island. Now, I first heard about this a few years ago, and and this is this is the kind of stuff where it's like, first of all, I don't want to believe it. It's the kind of thing where it's like, that's so dark. I, I don't even want to consider that there's a, there's a possibility that this might be true. But apparently there's more coming out about this and it's not good. And of course, uh, the, the press is a little bit, uh, well, oh, look what we've uncovered. And there are some very interesting connections here um, to, to Donald Trump. And I, and I don't say this in the sense that he was one of the clients. Actually, it looks like uh, Trump was friends with uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, for some time, but distanced himself from Epstein some time ago. In fact, uh, the, the word is that he kicked Epstein out of uh, Mar-a-Lago uh, many years ago for soliciting and actually uh, you know, trying to set up the daughter of another business associate with, with some of his friends. Now, this sounds really conspiratorial. I totally get that. I totally understand that it's, uh, hmm, <laughs> this, this sounds like, uh, you know, tinfoil hat time. I mean, what was, the, what was the big Pizzagate? Remember the leaked Russian emails and, and Alex Jones was all over it? Oh, it's Pizzagate. You know, they use these code words to talk about children that they were securing for, for sexual purposes. Look, I got to tell you up front, I don't know if there's truth to these allegations, but here's a fact, and you take this for what it's worth. Jeffrey Epstein was convicted of sexual offenses against children. He, to, to call him a pederast would not be out of order. The record shows it. But he's been arrested again, or he's going to be arrested again. And the big questions are why and how and why now? Thomas Luongo, writing for Gold, Goats, and Guns, has an article on Lou Rockwell today called Peak Swamp. And this is one of the things he puts, he, he puts out there, and, and this is where I'm going to bring Donald Trump into this, even though, again, uh, politics is dirty. It's just ugly, but let's, let's go here, and if nothing else, consider yourself somewhat informed about uh, what, what may be coming down the pike, because... I sense uh, if, if what Luongo is saying is true, if there, if there is plausibility in what he is suggesting here, we are likely to see a very decisive clash over power in Washington. Oh, yeah, like nothing's been going on for the last, you know, what, 50 some years or more. No, it's I mean, like people in power are going to be in danger of losing it, as in facing criminal convictions facing jail time how hard do you think they'd be willing to fight for what they have for the privilege that they enjoy that's what i'm asking you to consider thomas luongo says i never doubted donald trump's sincerity in wanting hillary in jail but he says the reality is that trump was not in any position to do so you remember the debate back in late 2016 you should be in jail Ooh, it was a good cheer line but the truth is, Trump really couldn't do anything about it at that point until a few months ago, says Luongo. When Attorney General William Barr ended the Mueller investigation back in February, that was a turning point. And he actually wrote about it in a piece called The Old Political Order is Just Old. Mueller, his staff of Hatchetman, the Obama administration and the rest of the corrupt old guard in D.C. 
fully expected to be allowed to, to have free reign to convict Trump politically of obstruction of justice based on an interpretation of federal statutes that could only be justified in the world of Philip K. Dick's minority report. And when that didn't happen, they are now looking at a potential at potential blowback from a vain and vindictive man occupying supposedly the most powerful office in the world. And here Luongo asks, is that really the case anymore? His point being, it seems more that John Bolton has been more president than Trump recently. Now, Luongo says, I was cautiously optimistic that Trump would turn the corner on his presidency now that Mueller impeachment and the rest of it would lift from his shoulders. His foreign policy maneuvers didn't fill me with much, if any, confirmation of this hope. But he says domestically signs were there that he had stabilized the battlefield. And this is where Luongo says now Trump's uh, he says Epstein's arrest tells me that Trump is out for blood because this goes directly to the heart of the matter. Trump left the Clinton social circle in disgust. He says, I'm convinced he ran to stop her corrupt sellout of the U.S. Never forget that. Well, corruption is rampant in D.C. It's not all pervasive. In other words, it's not a black and white thing. William Barr may not be a Boy Scout or anything, but even he, like Trump, has a disgust circuit. And that circuit has a threshold. The level of corruption at the departments of justice, state, treasury and intelligence agencies needed to coordinate the Russiagate hoax all to serve as Hillary's revenge porn was too much for enough people. And there are still plenty of people in all those departments willing to step up now that the board state has changed. He says, remember when Trump Remember back when Trump said we should just leave Hillary be? She's been through enough. That wasn't him capitulating to the deep state. That was him offering her a way out. He knew then what was going on, but thought he was powerless to stop it politically. To go after the person, to go after her, he says you go after the person who is her Achilles heel, Epstein, through his association with Bill Clinton. Because what if this isn't just about Bill's antics? And by the way, Bill Clinton um, is definitely on those flight manifests to uh, Epstein's Lolita Island. I know it's it's a pretty tough thing to consider. What? Bill Clinton interested in in chasing after underage girls or at least, you know, philandering. Why? It's unthinkable. No, actually, it isn't. And I think most people realize that the question is, how many other high and mighties are going to be found to be keeping company with a serial pederast. We'll come back to this after these messages. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. All right. I apologize for starting out on such a dark note for the program today, but, you know, with with all the, the rumors and I think there was even some fairly uh, prominent deplatforming of people over the idea of Pizzagate. How dare you accuse the high and mighty or the uh, well-connected in this country of engaging in, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, pederasty or this this organized uh, child sex trafficking. And I'm not saying, boy, I know for a fact everybody who said that was wrong. But it is so interesting that Jeffrey Epstein is uh, is being rearrested 10 years after being convicted of uh, child sexual abuse, but uh, essentially being let off the hook. He got a very, very mild punishment. And the court records were immediately sealed. 
I'm trying to remember who that was who who did that. Uh, who was it? Was it was it Mueller who sealed those records? I think it was. It was. Okay. Back to the article here by Thomas Luongo. He points out that this is much more than just Hillary and Bill that are up on the chopping block with Epstein's arrest. He says this is likely a far deeper rabbit hole than anyone in D.C. wants to admit. Don't think for a second that Epstein hasn't been blackmailing very prominent people for years. Because he has. And they're all now scared to death. And Robert Mueller... He says is up to his neck in this because it was Mueller who helped Epstein mostly get off the hook last time and then had the court documents sealed. Well, guess what? Those 2000 court documents were unsealed just recently. And now Epstein is uh, being rearrested. And there is speculation as to who else will have to face the music. Because of their association with him and his uh, his island, which apparently catered to uh, very well-connected people with a preference for underage sexual partners. Again, I have to apologize. This is this is dark. This is way darker than than what I would like to be dealing with, especially on a Monday. But I think it's worth keeping an eye on. If, If nothing else, this may be the catalyst for a real crisis. As if we didn't have enough division and enough, you know, unrest being sown, you know, in, in the D.C. beltway. This could be very, very interesting. And as Thomas Luongo points out, you know, if Epstein hasn't been, he says, don't think that Epstein hasn't been blackmailing very prominent people for years because he has. And they're all scared to death. Now that Mike Cernovich worked to get those documents unsealed. We have an arrest warrant a week later by a Justice Department led by someone at this point loyal to Trump. And Luongo says, even if Barr and Trump have a marriage of convenience here, it doesn't matter. What matters is that Epstein will no longer be able to hide behind Clinton bagmen and will this time have to cut a real deal if they want to keep him out of general population in prison. Now, this process will be slow and painful. But it will grind to the kind of conclusion that will only benefit Trump's reelection bid. It will be an epic drip feed of leaks, innuendos, implications, indictments, and the rest. Because there comes a point where the Olinsky method of accusing your enemy of the thing you do backfires, especially when it comes to raping 14-year-old girls. Once this thing gets ahead of steam, once the hashtag MeToo crowd gets a hold of this, there won't be anyone left standing. And Thomas Luongo says, I always said Hillary would indict herself. Her insane lust for power and revenge against her obstacles led us here. And it will lead her to the kind of shame and disgrace that benefits her avarice. When Nancy Pelosi's daughter is out there signaling for her mother on this immediately, you know this is bad. He says Pelosi doesn't roll over for nothing, folks. Think about what think what you want about her, but she is a pit bull. And this Epstein arrest is a testament to what happens when the pendulum swings too far in one direction, where despicable people get away with the most heinous acts simply because they are connected in a web of corruption and venality. And so he poses the question, maybe this is the moment of peak swamp. Maybe it's the moment where we can see things begin ever so slightly to improve. Is it too little, too late? But something had to be done to keep our faith in the political and social institutions intact, because otherwise that way leads only to chaos and collapse. Okay, I put my tinfoil hat out this morning thinking I might need it. 
I'm going to go ahead and put it on now just because I, I think I actually do need it for, for what I'm about to say. If there is truth to this, and I just want to make really clear, I'm not telling you everything Thomas Luongo said is absolutely fact. You can hang your hat on it. I don't know that. But if there is truth to this, I would suspect that as as people find themselves in the uh, crosshairs of justice or standing to lose their position or lose their power, something is going to have to happen to distract us. I mean, come on, there's no shortage of stuff going on in the world. And I, I, I totally understand how how utterly conspiratorial this sounds. But my understanding of human nature and how that little lust for power turns into an almost overwhelming lust for power. I would say we are going to find ourselves in some kind of a massive crisis and soon. And it could be, you know, I mean, it could be something like somebody exploding a nuke somewhere in the Mideast. Maybe Iran, maybe it'll just be blamed on Iran. I don't know. But to get news like this off the front pages and out of people's minds to unite us behind, you know, those in power under the guise of, hey, we've got to all come together. There's a common threat that we're facing. Nothing would shock me at this point. So I would look for some kind of a catalyst to start a war. And before you, you know, shrug me off as well, you know, you're as full of it as a Christmas goose hide. Um, I could be wrong on this. In fact, I hope I am wrong. But I'm looking back at, at other instances, the Gulf of Tonkin, you know, for starters, there have been false flags. There have been wars and other conflicts started under false pretenses. But when something as great as power is is at stake, don't underestimate the capacity of those who hold power or who wish to hold power to do truly inhuman things. So it could be, you know, again, uh, some large scale terrorist attack, something involving a nuke, maybe a biological weapon. We haven't heard much about that lately, right? Some weaponized form of Ebola being released somewhere. I don't know. I mean, perish the thought. You know, maybe maybe if they feel threatened enough, those who have the the, the power and who would have the motive to, to do anything to hang on to that power are going to find some way to take out uh, Donald Trump. Think of the vacuum that that would create in this country as if we weren't enough divided. You know, what would happen? Well, Pence would step up, would he? Maybe. I don't know. We live in a very interesting time, and, and, and what makes it so interesting to me is the fact that the corruption is almost universally acknowledged by anybody who isn't deliberately, you know, closing their eyes and sitting in a cave somewhere, you know, with their hands over their ears chanting so they don't have to listen to anything. Our media certainly isn't doing its job of, of pointing out to, hey, you know, something's not right here. They like the power. They like the contact high that they get from being in touch with people in authority. They don't want to jeopardize that relationship. I can't think of anybody I know who's at least aware of what's going on in the world around them who wouldn't say, oh, yeah, the corruption. Yeah, it's endemic. 
And so the question I'm asking you to consider, painful and ugly as that might be, is what would people do to remain in power, especially if, if their very lives were on the line? Honestly, there's a part of me that doesn't want to know the answer. Because I think there's, uh, there's some pretty serious mendacity when you get to that level. I'd like to know your thoughts. 801-331-8113. We'll take a, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Loving Liberty right after this. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde, and I have Sam on the line with me from Missouri this morning. Oh, my. All right, Sam, are you there? Okay, something just went wonky with my telephone, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up and I'm going to try again. Um, Sam was going to weigh in on what I've been talking about here so far this morning about the uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein being rearrested, accused of luring girls to his Manhattan mansion and abusing them, um, facing 45 years in prison. He's considered a flight risk. I mean, the whole nine yards. This is, this is some pretty significant stuff. All right, let's try this again. Let's see... Uh, I'll have to see if my, my phone is uh, is going to work here. Okay. All right. I actually know how to fix this. This is the ki- this is the kicker. When you are the chief cook and bottle washer for your operation, sometimes let's see. Ah, okay. Sam, if you're listening to me, I'm going to have to get you in the next segment and here's why. Because I have to I have to go in and I have to unplug. <laughs> my phone uh, interface and and uh, let it reset i don't know why it does that but uh doggone it it did so i'm going to move on but we'll come back to this hopefully sam you can you can pick up here in the next uh, in the next segment and and, and call in <sighs> okay i want to share something with you this was from a friend of mine uh rob nielsen published this over the weekend and it stung me a little bit because I realized I am guilty of doing exactly what he points out here. It's titled Nation, Country, and State. Now, when you hear these words, you'll know that they're commonly conflated and treated as synonyms. You know, we, we use them interchangeably, nation, country, state. But he says, do you know the difference between these words? And, and Rob actually offers a very workable explanation of each one of them. Nation. A group of people with common ancestry and language. Country, a geographic region or native land. State, political organization or government. Well, there is a difference. Why do you know? I mean, look, I've been guilty of using these very interchangeably. But Rob clarifies. He says, nations are people. They are an organic extension of family relationships. Countries are places And they exist whether people live in them or not. States are artificial entities. They're used to claim and exercise control over nations and countries. 
it is natural and understandable to strongly identify with a nation. These are people who sacrifice to bring you into the world. They show you what it means to love and communicate and share and belong. They provide you with opportunities and resources. They constitute a division of labor within which you can serve and be served. Everyone should celebrate and honor what makes their nation special. Now, he says, the earth is a beautiful place, and it is natural and understandable to develop a special appreciation and fondness for the country you grow up in. This is the corner of the planet where your nation learned to grow food to survive. It's where you learned to walk and explore. It's where you work and play with friends and loved ones. It's where you sleep at night, where you invest the fruits of your labor and plan for dreams of your family's future. But he says, states are not nations. States are not countries. States are control systems. In fact, the word government means mind control from the Latin gubernare for command or control and mentalis for of the mind. I've never broken that word down before, folks. That was that was an eye opener for me. These are the systems whose agents rule over you. They claim the right to take and redistribute your property as they see fit. They claim to be the sole legitimate source of ultimate decision-making with a monopoly on violence in countries and over nations. They deserve neither your allegiance nor your praise. So he says, when people wave state flags or they sing state songs, it's easy to cringe at the thought that oppressive monopolies are being celebrated. And while this is sometimes sadly accurate, he says, I think it's important to understand that most people who do so are really thinking of the people and land and way of life that they cherish. Kind of an interesting take. And I bring this up because I'm going to spend a little bit of time here talking about President Trump's Fourth of July address. I don't know if you had a chance to to see anything of of his speech at the Lincoln Memorial on uh, on July 4th. But it was uh, it was it was surprising. And maybe it's because I'd heard, you know, the, the tales of, well, you know, there's all the military hardware that he's brought out and everything and is just going to be a big, you know, show of force. Um, but really, it, it wasn't so much so. I mean, to, to hear one side tell it, and this is going from one extreme to the other here, um, the, the patriotic pageantry on the National Mall either represented the end of America as we know it, or it represented its rebirth. But you got to remember, the people on the extremes typically are the ones who are the most politically possessed, and that's how they tend to see things, is in extreme forms. So to hear one side tell it from the left... Trump was acting the part of the repressive dictator, complete with rewriting history to fit his own narrative and, of course, prominent displays of all the military might he commands, what he's going to use to subjugate all the people with whom he disagrees. And to other people, and going to the other extreme, Trump was just valiantly restoring our waning national pride in the American Republic and showing the world that our might is not to be taken lightly. Don't mess with America. Now, both of these extremes have taken positions that serve to advance their own political agendas. If you take politics out of it, the whole thing becomes a lot more benign. In fact, it wouldn't have been much of a power struggle to begin with. So for for what it's worth, and this is just my opinion, you're welcome to it. There were elements of the celebration in Washington that were perfectly in keeping with observing Independence Day, that key event that launched our nation's quest for freedom and self-governance. But there were also some aspects that should 
at the very least, strike us as disquieting because they demonstrate a very clear shift in how we have come to see ourselves and our government. So let's start with what was good and noble about the president's speech. I did not watch it live. I just read the transcript later. And in my opinion, this was one of the least self-serving speeches I can ever recall Trump giving. His over-the-top confidence, his bravado has been a very key part of his public persona since long before he was on the campaign trail back in 2016. But he resisted the urge to politicize his remarks. He didn't take cheap shots at his critics. Instead, he dialed back that hyper-partisan rhetoric. He focused on the historical significance of our nation's founding. And to me, this was a very refreshing break from his usual thunderings against his opponents. Trump used the opportunity to recall the self-evident truths that moved the founding generation to action. At significant personal risk, by the way, to them to separate from Great Britain and to claim their independence. He talked about the spirit of courage and defiance that emboldened the colonists to make their stand to assert their God-given natural rights rather than live under tyranny. And he talked about the fortitude and the willingness to sacrifice that allowed succeeding generations to settle and tame a magnificent frontier. He spoke to the remarkable blessings of liberty that have been a part of our nation's history in the decades that followed. He talked about the heroes who inspired and shaped our nation's willingness to correct its mistakes and imperfections. Now, those are the kind of things we should be celebrating. And at the same time, there were aspects of the celebration that should give people of conscience a reason to pause and evaluate where exactly are our hearts today. For instance, the overt display of military vehicles and aircraft, emblems of power of the government, were a very key part of the festivities. Now, that's not out of character with a lot of the July 4th parades across the nation that also featured similar flybys or armored vehicles. But the president spent a fair amount of his speech lauding the nation's armed forces and gloating about how our enemies don't stand a chance. In light of what's been happening in the Persian Gulf recently, that doesn't seem like a coincidence. So while it's true that our nation has enjoyed military superiority for a lot of years now, it's also true that our government has come to more closely resemble an empire rather than a republic. That's very different from what the founders gave us. And from the drone strikes of our never-ending war on terror to the 800 or more military garrisons outside our own territory, to the invasion and occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan, I have to ask, are we sure that our nation has the moral high ground? Can we honestly say that in the 149 countries in which we've deployed special operations forces that we have never acted as the aggressor? It's like we're becoming the world's dominator rather than its protector. And what does that say about us? It's like our country, our government is working very hard to make sure that no other country can treat America the way it treats other countries. And the question I'd like you to consider is whether a person or a nation operating from an authentic position of strength would feel the need to flex so hard. Physically and morally strong individuals or nations don't have something to prove to others. It's the weak and the uncertain who tend to go around picking fights. My point here is that our national greatness was not born out of sheer might alone. It started with the willingness of each citizen to know right from wrong and to choose what was right even when it was difficult. But politics has blurred that line. And now we struggle with who we are as a result.
Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. All right, with a little percussive maintenance, the phone is now operational. So to my friend Sam, with the Missouri Liberty Network, uh, you can call us Call us back, Sam. I wanted to get your take on uh, the uh, arrest of Jeffrey Epstein, billionaire and, and convicted uh, child sex abuser, who apparently is very well connected and may... Well, if he, let's put it this way. If he goes down, he's probably going to take a lot of powerful people with him. We could be in for some very interesting days ahead. All right, let's go to the phone. Sam, welcome to the show. And presto, it works. <laughs> yeah, just nothing nothing but a quick reset. Haven't had yeah, to do that in a while. We've done that around here, too, so I get it. I understand what's going on. Hey, I wanted to mention, first of all, uh, just a real quick exciting note. You know, we got... Uh, I wish we could take our celebration of independence into some other areas uh, to uh, get some of our freedoms back. I was reminded of that when I got my notice from the tax assessor and uh, you know, about the real estate taxes going up, you know. And um, so I called and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I love asking the hard questions, Brian. It's, uh, it's just in me. So I asked, I said, I asked the lady on the phone, I said, now, you're raising my taxes, I said. So basically, what the deal is here, I said, we don't really own our homes, do we? I said, basically, I said, we're just paying yearly rent on them. I said, I can pay off the mortgage, and I can, uh, but I still have to keep paying the yearly rent. And she says, you're actually buying the privilege of living in them. Wow. So, so I mean, I appreciate the honesty, but at the same time, that doesn't leave me very happy. No, and that's why I say I wish more people understood this, you know, and I find people that don't absolutely have any problem with paying property taxes. And I say, if, you know, and I've been saying, and I've been preaching it from the rooftops, if you have to pay uh, personal property on your cars, I don't know how Utah is out there, but here we have personal property here in Missouri. If you have to pay personal property on cars, boats, trailers, any of that kind of stuff, uh, it's not yours. Same with your house. If you have to pay uh, real estate taxes on your house, your house is not yours because if you don't pay the taxes on it, the, the sheriff can come and run you out of it or they can tow it away if it's a car or vehicle or whatever. So just a little side note on that whole issue. Yeah, we've, we, we've got the same, the same system. The real owner will yep. show up and kick you out if you don't pay your rent. Yep. So, uh, you know, and what's to stop them from going after your clothes and stuff? I mean, if they wanted to, Oklahoma almost tried it one year back in the early 2000s. I can't remember the exact year, but I saw it in the news and, uh, oh my. where they were actually going to tax people for even clear down the clothes on their back. And it just never went anywhere. But, I mean, the, the fact is being talked about should have raised hackles on everybody's neck, you know. But uh, anyway, what I wanted to comment on originally, which is why I called you, was this whole business of the idea of conspiracies. And I know you were you mentioning about that going conspiratorial here uh, in that one point. There's enough overwhelming evidence that our government has been involved in conspiracies to def- to either deflect or to get us into something to benefit the few at the expense of the many. And uh, first of all, I want to point out it's the CIA that's made the term conspiracy a dirty word. We do conspiracies all the time. Brian, if, if Trish and I decide to do something special for you and, uh, you know, maybe like get you something as an appreciation gift or something like that or whatever, and we did that, and we didn't tell you about it, it would be a conspiracy. It'd be a, it'd be a low-level conspiracy just between the two of us, but it'd be a conspiracy. It'd be my We're favorite just, kind of conspiracy. There you go. Absolutely. So, 
the point that we have to understand out of all this is that there's enough evidence to choke a horse that our government has been involved in conspiracies. I take you back for the to the project for the new American century when the Bush administration uh, actually, uh, among other things, um, they were involved in um, trying to uh, get a Pearl Harbor event. In fact, that's what they stated on that website that we need a Pearl Harbor event to get us involved in the war with the, with Iraq. And uh, I mean, that's out there for anybody to research. I mean, the site's no longer around, but you can I'm sure you can still find stuff in the Wayback Archives on that subject. Um, we have Roosevelt that um, uh, antagonized the Japanese to get us into World War II after stating that uh, there was no way we were ever going to be uh, involved in World War II. We have uh, Rahm Emanuel, who made the statement when he was uh, carpetbagger mayor of Chicago. He made the statement that uh, never let a good crisis go to waste, and he said... Uh, a crisis is, is something that allows you to do things that you could otherwise never do in any other uh, situation. In other words, scare the people, and you've got them right where you want them. And I think that's the thing we need to take away from this. We have Popular Mechanics, who wrote an article back in the 80s. I think uh, Reagan was still president at the time. Either Reagan or Bush had just become president. And they were talking about uh, the possibility of uh, getting the people... Uh, united behind fighting a UFO invasion. Now, that sounds a little far out, but, I mean, they actually did talk about it in Popular Mechanics. Dang. <laughs> well, the bottom line is if you know your strings or your chains are being yanked, you at least have a fighting chance. But I, I would suspect a lot of people don't. They just kind of, well, you know, this crisis came out of nowhere. But, you know, if, if you know, if you understand human nature and if you understand that desire to capitalize on other people's fear or uncertainty um, that's why you approach crisis as, as the Chinese would say with you know it represents both danger and opportunity oh yeah yeah and I mean you, you can also go back to the philosopher uh, George Hegel who actually put uh, the whole thing to uh, words you know problem reaction solution you know where a problem is either created or a uh, or a problem is allowed to occur and then, uh, then the solution is one that was pre-planned all along. And, I mean, there's all kinds of evidence of this. I mean, just on 9-11 alone, you know, it was Dick Cheney who, um, you know, when the, they asked during the time, you know, of, of, of trying to scramble the military planes, he was the one that ordered the planes to, um, to uh, not fly, you know, to um, counteract any, uh, any terrorist uh, aircraft that were out there. So, I mean, were they really terrorist aircraft? You know, I mean, what would be the advantage, unless there's an advantage to somebody in the, in the hierarchy of government, to uh, order the military to stand down in, you know, with, with not only buildings being attacked in, um, in New York, but buildings being attacked in Washington, D.C.? And I would argue that these people are so psychopathic that they would have absolutely no problem with allowing some of their very own employees in government to be killed in order to get what they want. And this is, the, this is the point that a lot of people don't want to deal with. It's too frightening for them. No, I'm, I'm with you, Sam. Now, yeah. on that well, note, on that note, I have to, I have to ask you, and, and, and I want to get your take on it. So with, with that in mind, what, what would you recommend? What can we do? There's a lot that's out of your control. There's a lot that's out of my control. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that you and I are just helpless pawns and you know we're going to be carried whichever way the current happens to be going. What, uh, for instance, what what can you do 
in your capacity as, you know, as an American citizen to to make a difference? Well, the thing I've been doing for a long time is trying to educate people to this. And, and I want to state, too, uh, as we're talking about this, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy behind every rock. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that don't ever put it past the people in power, as corrupt as they are, to pull off anything to get what they want. I continue to educate people on these subjects on my own broadcast, certainly. Um, the only other thing you can do is just always, whenever something comes up, whenever you see something like what we had during 9-11 or something like that, I'm not saying automatically jump to the conclusion that the government pulled it, but don't also just jump to the conclusion that it was that it was just rogue terrorists, if you understand what I'm saying. I think... Because there's a, a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense with this. I mean, the fact that the buildings were so accessible um, for this stuff to happen, and nobody supposedly was aware. Come on, we have a military that's aware of just about everything, and a, and a Pentagon and a CIA. You know, you can't tell me that these people were just blindsided by all of this. I think one of the things that has helped me a lot, um, and without getting me too far down the rabbit hole, is I just like to ask the question, who benefits from this? There you go. Absolutely. Who benefits? Who's going to come out on top after this is all over with? And, of course, remember that night when all, after all this happened, Bush came on TV and said that night has fallen on a different world, okay? And this was the license that it took. You and I had nothing to do with 9-11. We didn't blow up anything. We didn't uh, go out and harm anybody. But yet now we're made to pay with all their surveillance and stuff. That should raise everybody's eyebrows right there. Why are they just surveilling everybody? If it was supposedly rogue terrorists like we're supposed to believe, then why do we have these massive data centers like what you have out there in Utah oh, yeah. and various other places uh, You know, vacuuming up everybody's data? Uh, supposedly under the guise of trying to find something. Well, we know why that is. We know part of why it is, because they can blackmail people that uh, get in their way. Sam, I appreciate you weighing in today. Great to hear from you, my friend. You bet. God bless. Okay, have a good one. Well, that's going to do it for the first hour. Coming up next hour, I have Simbria Patterson joining me. We're going to talk about food, uh, but not in the way that you're probably thinking. This is a remarkable lady. She's doing some remarkable things. I'll introduce you just the other side of news. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.